So once again, this is a different way of studying the Book of Mormon. Normally in an institute class, we would go sequentially. That's what we did with Come, Follow Me. We would just dive into 1st Nephi, 2nd Nephi, third, or Jacob, Enos, Jerem, and we'd tackle the doctrines in each book. We're going to tackle it a little bit differently. We're going to study this book thematically. We're going to pick a theme and follow it throughout the whole book. So we might be in Nephi one moment, and then in Moroni the next moment, and then jumping back to Alma. Because we're going to see if we can paint a clear picture of what the Book of Mormon is teaching about in that theme. In this class, we're actually going to do three themes, each, which, each of which has several sub-themes. And we'll in, I'll introduce those next week. What I want to do, every time I teach the Book of Mormon, I want to point out that the Book of Mormon has a dilemma. As it presents its role in the restoration, as it tells us the role that it plays in the restoration, I don't know if you've ever caught this, but it has a major dilemma. I want to show you that dilemma and then show you its solution for the dilemma, which involves all of us. So let's turn to the Book of Mormon's message of itself and its role in our day. Turn to Lehi's dream in 1 Nephi chapter 8. Now we're going to take a look at Lehi's version and then Nephi's version of the same dream. When Nephi get, or sorry, when Lehi gets it, it's symbolic. Tell me the five, now I'm going to draw it like this, and you'll see why in just a minute. Tell me the five major symbols of Lehi's dream. What's the main symbol? A tree. Verse 10, what do you know about this tree? And? Desirable. Desirable to make you happy. In fact, there are eight words used to describe the fruit of the tree. Now, we'll do that another time, but each of the words has a superlative. It's not just sweet. What does it say? Sweet above all that is sweet. In other words, the love of God, the testimony of the Book of Mormon, is that the love of God is sweet above all that's sweet. You might think something else is sweeter. But there is nothing sweeter than the love of God. It is the most desirable. It will bring you the greatest joy. It is the purest of all things that are pure. Great is another word. Beautiful is another word. The tree of life is the greatest source of happiness in the world. The problem is there's an imitation. Some people are fooled by a false happiness. There is an invitation tree. There is an imitation tree. Tell me what in Lehi's dream is the imitation tree that represents all the false happiness that men think will make them happy. It's the building. The building represents what the natural man would have you believe is happy. Power and lust and anger and revenge and the very things that the natural man is trying to pursue. That's, what's, that's who's in the building, trying to convince me to be fooled by an imitation. Now, if I am fooled, I don't know who got to the building because in Lehi's dream, if you leave the tree, if you leave the path and go to the tr- building, does anyone end up in the building? No, because where do they end up? They, re- they end up in the river. They drowned in a river. 
The river are the consequences of being fooled. And some of you, some, all of us love someone who is fooled by a false form of happiness and has, and is drowning in a river. I, I have a dear friend who looked into that building and thought he saw a greater happiness than his family. And he cheated on his wife. And now that whole family is doing what? Can you guess what they're doing? Drowning in a river. Because they were fooled by a fault. He was fooled by a false happiness. Now, Heavenly Father says, I'm going to help you. Let me help you. So what does he provide? He provides a rod. Now go to verse 19 and 20. First Nephi 8, 19 and 20. Tell me the three purposes of the rod. And watch how brilliantly this is put together. What are the three purposes of the rod? Verse 19 has two of them. What's the first one? There was a rod that ran along the banks of a raging river. So why would you put a... We always portray the rod as a guide. You know, you just kind of skip to the tree of life by holding on to the rod. But why would you put a rod in front of a raging river? It's a barrier. In other words, the rod will keep you out of the river. If you hold to the rod, you'll never fall into the river. In fact, let's hear Nephi's promise. Turn to chapter 15 as he explains the dream to his brothers. Verses 23 and 24. James, would you mind? First Nephi 15, 23 and 24. If you hold on to the rod, you will never fall into the river. And they said unto me, And I said unto them that it was the word of God. And whoso should hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish. Neither would the temptations of the Whoa, whoa, whoa. Get you. I, I, need, I need that word. Tell me that word. Neither could. could. That's a significant word. Neither could. Yep. Neither could. Keep going from that word could. The temptations of, and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness. So leave them away so the rod keeps you out of the river, right? Okay, back to first, or chapter 8, verse 19. What's the second purpose? It will lead to the tree. Now, if it's leading to the tree, what am I avoiding? In other words, by leading me to the tree, what is the rod? The greatest way to not be deceived by a false form of happiness is? Hold to the rod. It's that simple. You're not going to be deceived. And the fourth, verse 20, what's the third? Sorry, third. What's the third purpose of the rod? If you hold to the rod, you will stay on the straight and narrow path, which leads to the tree. Do you see the purpose of the rod? The Lord says, look, here's the true happiness. Here's an imitation happiness. And here are the consequences of being fooled. And I'll help you with all three with that one. You hold to the rod, you'll never fall into the river, you'll never be fooled, and you'll end up at the tree. Now, some other day, we'll talk about the four groups of people that Lehi sees. And I will just testify, the only groups that make it to the tree grab the rod. No rod, no tree. We'll save that for another day. James? I just think it's interesting. 
I love how the tree is made by God. Uh huh. And a building is made by man. Yep. Like with bricks. Yep. And just thinking, it's like if we look at what the building is, it's the philosophies of men, and like just philosophy in general. It's like, oh, we think it could be this or this or this. When it's like a tree, it's like it's far more depth there, and it it's not something I can create. Yep. Let me, let me give you an example of the tree of the building. Anyone heard of Notch person? Does that ring a bell? Anyone heard of Minecraft? You've all heard of Minecraft, right? Notch person wrote Minecraft in his basement. And he started selling it. I was my son and I were one of the very first. We we purchased long before Microsoft came along, we purchased a license to Minecraft back when it was Notch Person's company. He then sold it to Microsoft for, any guesses? $2 billion. He sold Minecraft for $2 billion. Can you imagine getting a check for $2 billion? How would that change your life? So people started to notice Notch Person's tweets after he sold Minecraft. Can I share with you some of his actual tweets? These are tweets from Notch Person. Um, first one, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. Another tweet, hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. In Sweden, I'll sit around and wait for my friends with jobs and families to have time to do stuff, watching my reflection in the monitor. Found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a more normal person instead. What is he realizing? It's empty. It's not the happiness he thought it was. You see the building? Now, you can avoid that building by holding on to the rod. Now, four images. I mentioned five. You said it. There's one more image, or there's one more symbol we need to talk about. What's the one, and why do I put it in the center? What is it? The mist of darkness, which blinds and hardens. Remember that phrase. The mist of darkness blinds our eyes and hardens our hearts. Now, why, why, why would I draw it like that? Any guesses? Any thoughts? Because it does something to each one of these. The mist affects each one of these. So let's just briefly talk about it. The mist hides the love of God. Can you think of a mist that causes people to not see that God loves them? I'll give you one. Pain. Pain is a mist that causes people to not see that God loves them. There are numerous mists that hide the fact that God loves us. The mist hides the tree. What does it do over here? Does it hide the whole building? What part of the building does it hide? In other words, there is no foundation. That building is going to what? Crumble. It's going to fall. It's empty. It's going to fall. And who would enter a building if they could see that it had no foundation? 
So what does the building, what does the mist do? So what is it really hiding? Building blindness hides the danger of the situation. Can you think of a Book of Mormon example of someone that was building blind? Who walked into a situation he never should have because he was blind to the danger. Zenith was building blind. Remember, he should never have made that arrangement with the king of the Lamanites. All of us reading this are saying, don't do it. He's going to steal your land. We all saw it coming, right? When the Lamanites come and attack and steal their land, was, are any of you surprised? So why did he make such a bad deal? Remember what he said? What did he call himself? Overzealous. He was building blind. Do you know someone? I, I love so many people who wanted to be married so badly, that, but they were what? They were building blind. And now what's happening? Their marriage is crumbling. Because they want, but they wanted it so badly that they were, do you see real life examples where the Book of Mormon hides the building? What does it do down here? Satan will always hide the real consequences of his traps. Has anyone ever made an honest beer commercial? What would I have to include? If I really wanted to be, make an honest beer commercial, I would have to show the river. But no one, would bear, no one would buy beer if I did that, right? So we hide the river as a society so that we can sell beer. Do you see river blindness? This is the sad one. Because how do you persevere through the mist when you can't see the love of God? When you can't see that God loves you, what gets you to the tree? If you're fooled by the building, what helps you not be fooled? But the problem is the mist does what? Hides the solution. The mist hides the solution. Now, long story short, this is Lehi's version. Nephi comes along and says, I want to know more. Now, the brilliance of the Lord is he doesn't repeat this version. He doesn't show Nephi a tree, a building, a river, a rod, and a mist, does he? Tell me what he does. He tells Nephi three stories. Let me tell you three historic stories, and you find all of those. He gives Nephi some homework. He gives you homework. Because Nephi doesn't complete the homework, he leaves it for you to do. The Lord is going to tell Nephi three stories and say, can you find the tree in this story? Can you find the manifestation of God's love in this story? Can you find the imitation in the story? Can you find the mist that blinded people in this story? Can you find the rod that was the solution? Do you see the brilliance of what the Lord does with Nephi? It's absolutely brilliant. So let's talk about the stories. Now, total side note, this is for another day, but why is this brilliant teaching? If you can find the tree in these three stories, then what should you be able to do? Find the tree in your story. 
The invitation of the Book of Mormon is to find the tree in your story. But it goes beyond that. What else is the invitation? What is your mist? What blinds and hardens your heart? What's the building that fools you? And what is the rod? Sometimes who are the rod? You see the brilliance of what the Book of Mormon is doing? I've seen what I'm looking for, and then Nephi's going to get three stories, and then the homework is finish this and then do it with your life. But we'll do that another, you will do that another day. Let's go through the story. We're going to look for the tree. Dang it, don't I have a decent marker? Sorry, this just bugs me, and I can't use green. Let's look for the tree. That one's mediocre at best. Let's look for, oh, there we go. I got a good one. Let's look for the tree in each story. We won't necessarily, because we don't have a lot of time, we won't look for all of them. I want to focus on tree, building, mist, and rod. We'll save the river for another day. So in each of these stories, let's find the tree. Let's find the building. So in other words, what was God's manifestation of his love? What was the imitation that fooled them? What was the rod that would have helped them? Let's do rod next. And then what was the mist that blinded them? All right, story number one is chapter 11. First Nephi chapter 11. Tell me what is story number one. It is the New Testament, right? It is the story of the New Testament. Now that's 600 years into the future for Nephi. But let me tell you the story of the New Testament. Now, is he really teaching Nephi or is he teaching us? Because he assumes we know the story. So he doesn't have to tell the whole story. So I need you to tap everything that you know about the New Testament. What's the tree? What was the greatest manifestation of God's love in the New Testament? The birth of his son. So in chapter 11, what does Nephi see? How do we start this story? First Nephi chapter 11, he sees Mary taken away, comes back pregnant, has a baby. And the angel says, do you understand the tree? And Nephi says, yep. The tree is the love of God. I can see the tree in the story of the New Testament. Now, what's fun is you can see him pointing out all the other elements. Let's jump to the rod. So let's fill this out. So the tree in the New Testament is the birth of Christ. And by that, I mean conception. Who was his father? Not Joseph. Who was the physical father? Who was the physical contributor of half of his DNA? God, the eternal father. So Jesus was half immortal. Who was his mother? 
So he was half. That combination is the greatest gift. God came down to father a child with a mortal woman. And we don't know how. Nephi wasn't allowed to see how. Was he limited to human conception? I don't think so. We'll save that for another day. But the greatest manifestation of God's love is that he fathered a child with a mortal woman so that we could have a redeemer. Otherwise, what would the atonement have done? Very quick side note. Go to um, Mosiah chapter 3. King Benjamin was taught by an angel. Mosiah chapter 3, I think it's 5-ish. Had Jesus not been immortal, what would have happened? 7. Mosiah 3, 7. Without that unique combination of Jesus being half God, half Mary, what would have happened? He would have died. The pain, the human body has an off switch. And when you get to a certain level of pain, the human body turns off. And that pain would have killed him. Why didn't it kill him? Because he's half immortal. Could he have chosen to die? Did he have an off switch? Did Jesus have an off switch the whole time? Why didn't he push it? There's his gift to you. What was the father's gift to you? His birth. Do you understand what a gift that was? So Nephi says, oh my goodness, I see the tree. Now back to 1 Nephi 11. Notice that the angel goes out of his way to point out what we're looking for. For example, name, um, look at verse 27. What does Nephi see in verse 27? John the Baptist who led people to Christ. What would we call that? John was the rod. John led people to Christ. There's the rod in the story. How about verse 29? Name another rod. The apostles. How about verse 31? Name another rod that led people to Christ. His miracles. His miracles led them. Do you see the rod in the story? So we see John. We see the 12. We see miracles. Now, this is where it pauses. So let's do the rest of the story. Tell me what you know about the, the Pharisees and Sadducees. What did they want? What did they think would make them happy? Okay, but why? What's their goal? What do they think is the goal? Why the law of Moses? Why did they overinflate the law of Moses? Why are they constantly parading around that they are the descendants of Abraham? I think one of the buildings for the New Testament is identity. I'm important. But that's empty. They're constantly proving that they're important, aren't they? Why did they, they overinflate the law of Moses? Because we do and you don't, which makes us better. 
They're constantly after a false happiness. I think one of the buildings is identity. It's an empty, shallow happiness. So the whole world loves you. Guess what? Doesn't make you happy. Okay, let's do this one. Why is it that the Son of God was right in front of them and they didn't see him? What blinded the Jews to who he was? Well, they mistook him for a military leader. Yeah, he wasn't the Messiah they wanted. What kind of Messiah did they want? Let's march on Rome, let's conquer Rome, bring back our freedoms, right? Instead of conquering Rome, what did he conquer? Death and sin. But they didn't want that. So what might we call New Testament blindness? The Book of Mormon presents this idea. What is New Testament blindness? James, do you see it? Yeah. Wanting Jesus to be something that he's not. What are you going to do when he turns out to not do what you thought he was going to do? What if he doesn't answer your prayers the way you wanted him to answer? How many people walk away because they get hardened in their heart? They get blind. If this is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what do they expect? If this is his church, what do they expect? They expect it to be perfect. And what happens when it's not? What happens when it's full of ordinary people who make mistakes? What does that do to some people? There's the mist. Now, Nephi knew it. Turn to 2 Nephi chapter 25. He caught that. And notice he'll hint at it throughout the book. Go to 2 Nephi chapter 25. And what does he say at the end of verse 16 is the problem with the Jews? End of verse 16, what's the problem with the Jews? 2 Nephi 25, 16. They must believe in Christ. They're looking, look not forward for another Messiah. Do you see the temptation? We do it today. I want a Jesus that solves all my problems. How many Latter-day Saints expect a Jesus that solves all their problems? Is he that Jesus? He is not. Does he want to be that Jesus? He does not. If men come unto me, what did he say? If men come unto me, I will show unto them. I give unto men weakness that they may be. It is not his intention that you have an easy life. But how many people expect an easy life? And when their life isn't easy, what does that do? Blinds and hardens. How accurate is this story? So, New Testament blindness. Not the Messiah I want. Blinded and hardened. James. I just think sometimes, though, like if we're on the rod, the mist strengthens our grip on the rod. Yeah. Because it either blinds and hardens or softens and strengthens. Because 
you know, when we're like, we trust that it's like, hey, this miss comes, I'm going to tie in tighter with the rod. It's like, I'm going to get both hands on there, you know, or it kind of let go. And one of the greatest examples is Mary herself, right? She's, she was asked to be a pregnant, unmarried Jewish girl. What was that going to mean? Pregnant, unmarried Jewish girl. And what did she say? Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy will. Isn't that digging in and holding on tighter? I trust you. I trust that if I'm going to get pregnant, you're going to help me. Exactly. But what else does the mist do? Blinds and hardens. Okay, second story. Ready? Chapter 12. So this is 1 Nephi 11. This is 1 Nephi 12. And this is 1 Nephi 13. So go to chapter 12. What's the story of chapter 12? The Book of Mormon. Now, we're going to summarize the whole Book of Mormon in one chapter. But the Lord knows you are students of the Book of Mormon, so you need to know the whole thing. So what is the manifestation of God's love? What was the greatest manifestation of God's love in the story of the Book of Mormon? Third Nephi 11. When he came down and says, I haven't forgotten you. You're still my people. Come feel the nail marks in my hands and in my feet. It wasn't the birth of Christ. It was the visit of Christ. So how does chapter 12 open up? You see what the Lord's doing? How does chapter 12 open up? The mist of darkness, the actual mist of darkness, and then here comes Jesus piercing that. So it really doesn't do this because we're studying the Book of Mormon. So let's split these into Nephites and Lamanites. What was the rod? What is the story of the Book of Mormon that was supposed to lead you to Christ from beginning to end? What is the rod in the Book of Mormon? Beginning to end. How many stories teach you to follow a prophet in the Book of Mormon? Every story. Why is it the stripling warriors are not massacred when a thousand Lamanite warriors, a thousand Nephite warriors were? Because they chose to follow a prophet and they obeyed his words with exactness. Story after story reveals the rod. Follow the prophet. If they hadn't followed Lehi out of Jerusalem, how long would the Book of Mormon be? A few chapters and they would have died in Jerusalem when the Babylonians came in and slaughtered them. Follow the prophet. Third Nephi the Lord says from the, in the darkness, the reason you survived is because you followed the prophets. You were more righteous and you stoned not the prophets. Okay, so there's the rod. So let's do Nephite and Lamanite imitation happiness. What do the Lamanites think will make them happy? Destroying the Nephites. Revenge is an empty, hollow happiness. But it, I mean, if you've ever read Moby Dick, revenge is 
the quest of many lives. Lamanites tell us it's an empty happiness. What is Nephite? What do the Nephites think will make them? When the the Nephites go astray, what do they think will make them happy? What what, What fools them? Always money and pride, right? Can I, let me just give you a few examples of Nephite. Uh, we'll save that. Let's do blinders. We, we got to get to the main point here. So Nephite blinders are always riches. Uh, sorry, Nephite imitation happiness is always riches. What are, let's do Nephite and Lamanite mist. James. Uh-huh, that blinds them, right? Where is the truth? It's with the Nephites. Why can't they see it? Because the Nephites are wrong. You got it. Hang, anger, hatred, tradition, passed down from generation to generation. And that's what blinds them. It's funny how often the Book of Mormon mentions that for a Lamanite to be baptized, he has to what? Come to understand the foolish traditions of his fathers. So what's been the blinders that keeps the Lamanites from seeing truth? You got it. Okay, Nephite blinders. What blinds the Nephite? Whenever the Nephites go astray, what blinds the Nephite? What might we call Nephite blindness? Would that go back to pride? It is, but what version of pride? Money is the pursuit of something that's empty. That's the, pri- the pride causes me to pursue something that's empty. But what's the pride that's the blinder? I don't need him. Think about it. How many verses of the Book of Mormon show the Nephites kind of having that attitude? Second Nephi 9, all oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men, when they are learned, they think they are wise. There's the blinder. Couple of examples from when they go astray. Let's do King Noah, okay? Nephites who have gone astray. Mosiah chapter 11. Mosiah chapter 11. Let me just show, let me quickly walk you through the Book of Mormon and I'll show you a few examples of Nephite blinders. Okay, Mosiah chapter 11, verse 19. What did the... Nephites and under King Noah think. Josh, would you read 19? And now because of this great victory, they were lifted up in the, in the pride of their hearts. They did boast in their own strength, saying that, uh, that their 50 could stand against thousands. You get the idea, right? Yeah. All right. How about in Alma 9? Alma chapter 9. The Lord rebukes the Nephites and says, I need someone to read 4 and 5. Alma 9, 4 and 5. Anyone want to read? Who's there? Alma 9, 4 and 5. And they said also, We will not believe thy words if thou should prophesy that this great city should be destroyed in one day. This is the Ammoniah. This is Ammoniah, right? That's going to be slaughtered. And what's their opinion here? Keep going. Uh, now they knew not that God could do such marvelous works, for they were a hard-hearted and stiff-necked people. I don't need God. Ammoniah, going to be destroyed. Okay, let's do another one. Helaman 8. This is where the Nephites are going astray and the Lamanites are getting righteous. Helaman 8. This is where Nephi comes down. He's praying in his garden and the whole controversy. What do the Gadianton robber leaders say? Verse 6. 
Helaman 8, verse 6. Anyone want to read it? Annika. And now we know that this is impossible, for behold, we are powerful, and our city is great. There it is, right? Do you see it? Every single time. Let's do one more. When does, Mor- when does Mormon say, I will not lead you anymore? When does Mormon refuse to lead the army? Do you remember what they did? Turn to Mormon chapter 3, verse 9, 10, and then he quits in 11. What was the moment that Mormon said, I'm done, I will not lead you anymore? They swore by all that was holy. To what? Keep going. You gotta, you, we got to do more. They swore to destroy them. So revenge was one reason he quit. But the first one I want to point out, revenge is a blinder. So there was Lamanite blinders, but let's read verse 9. Mormon 3, 9. Who will read it for me? And now, because of this great thing which my people, the Nephites, had done, they began to boast in their own strength. There it is. Every single time the Nephites are wicked, they are blinded by, I don't need God. So how many people in the church today are New Testament blind? How many people in the church today are Lamanite blind and foolish traditions blind them? How many people in the church today are Nephite blind and I don't need God blinds them? Okay, let's get to the point. The main point today. What's the third story? We can generically say Gentiles. Okay, but we got to be very specific. Which Gentiles? These are not all Gentiles all over the planet. Verse 12, he says, which, who's he describing in verse 12? Who was the Gentile over there in Europe, separated from the Lamanites in America, who crosses the water and comes to the Lamanites? Columbus. And then in verse 17, who are the mother Gentiles gathered on the sea to destroy the Gentiles? That's the Revolutionary War. So which story is this? This is USA. This is our story. So now that we've got the setting, he says, look, they have a book. Starting in verse 20, what's that book they have? Now, what's the book they had? It has, it's the Bible. And while we're, t- while we're talking about it, okay, that Bible, and then he tells them something. Look at verse 24. Let's read this. 1 Nephi 13, verse 24. Who are we up to? James, would you mind? Yeah. The angel, angel of the Lord said unto me, Thou hast beheld that the book proceeded forth from the mouth of the Jew. And when it proceeded forth from the mouth of the Jew, it contained the fullness of the gospel. Okay, now jump to 26. And now, oh, wait, we got to get one word in verse 25. What was the Bible when it was first written in 25? Pure. And after they did go forth by the hands of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the formation of the great and abominable church, which is most abominable above all other churches. Here we go, ready? For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious. So during the apostasy, the Bible lost plain and precious truths. Now, verse 27 has our magic words in it. The loss of the plain and precious truths of the Bible 
is doing what in our day? Yep, 27. And all this have they done that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord, that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children. Therefore, what is the mist in our day? The loss of plain and precious truths. The loss, the corruption of the Bible. Not the corruption, but the loss. We don't claim that bad things were put in as much as good things were taken out. The loss of plain and precious truth is doing what? In Independence, Missouri, in Mexico City, all over the world, in Tampa, Florida, you are going to have to deal with a thousand people who are blind and hardened because why? Because of the loss of the plain and precious truths. That is the hardest problem in our day. The loss of plain and precious truth is the blinder. Now, hold on. Nephi must be freaking out when he sees this, right? Didn't Nephi freak out when he saw them crucify Christ? Didn't he, see, didn't he freak out when he saw the Lamanites destroy the Nephites? And now he's freaking out when he sees the Bible, the, the great and abominable church strip the Bible of plain and precious truths. And the Lord says, don't freak out, Nephi, because I have a solution. What was the Lord's solution? Verse 35, what was the Lord's solution? I'm going to speak to your seed, Nephi, and they're going to write it. I'm going to speak to the Nephites, and they're going to write it. And what they write will be hid up. Actually, verse 35, let's read it. What will the Nephites write in the first part of verse 35? Plain and precious things. And then they're going to be hid up in a box in New York. Now, verse 40, he sees the Book of Mormon come forward. And when he sees, what does the restoration of the Book of Mormon, the restoration of truth, what does the coming forth of the Book of Mormon do in verse 40? It establishes the truth of the first, meaning the Bible, and... Right in the middle of verse 40. Shall make known the plain and precious truths. All right, ready for the best thing we're going to say today? What is the tree in our day? The tree in the New Testament was his birth. The tree in the Book of Mormon was his visit. The tree in our day is what? The greatest manifestation of God's love is the restoration. The restoration is the tree in our day. It is the greatest manifestation that God has not given up on humanity. He intends to save humanity. He loves humanity and he is going to restore truth. We are sitting on the greatest news of our day. Now, do you see the dilemma? What's the rod that leads people to know that the restoration has occurred? The Book of Mormon. 
Now, who sees the dilemma? The rod that will lead them to the tree in our day is the book. And yet, they're blind. They're blind to the answer. They're blind to the solution. The world, because of the loss of plain and precious truths, is blind to the very thing that will open their eyes. Do you see the dilemma? Now, those of you who served a mission are sitting there saying, yep, yep. I served among a people that as a people were blind to what I was offering them because of the loss of plain and precious truths and the traditions that came because of it. They rejected the gospel. Do you see the Book of Mormon's problem? It is the rod and people aren't grabbing it because they're blind to it. The mist blinds the rod. So how in the world is this restoration going to go forward? What is the solution to the dilemma? Well, let's think through the Book of Mormon. When people have been blind, what opened their eyes and led them to truth? What happened to Nephi? Let's start with Nephi. When Nephi's heart was a little hardened, what was Nephi's rod that he held on to temporarily that led him to the tree so that the blinders come off? First Nephi chapter one, what does he say? He starts with what phrase? I, Nephi, haven't been born of goodly parents. How about Enos? His father. How about Alma the Younger? His father. How about Lamoni? Ammon, his friend. How about Lamoni's dad? His friend and his son. It's always what? Someone. And personal. And personal. And I love the phrase. Turn with me to Alma chapter 17, verse 29. I love this phrase. Of all the examples, this is my favorite because of what it says. And if Annika wants to be a good missionary, this verse is the answer. Do you understand why she's going to Tampa? Because Tampa is filled with blind people and hardened people because of the traditions that result from the loss of plain and precious truths. Now, what's she going to do? Alma 17, 29. I love the phrase here. Absolute, my favorite. This is the antidote to the dilemma. Someone who has a testimony does what? Ammon sees this as an opportunity to win the hearts. Because why? When we win their hearts, they believe our words. The blinders come off. So Annika's going to knock on doors and say, Hey, 
I love your roses. They're so beautiful. They remind me of the roses my mom made back home. How do you get your roses so beautiful? Can I help you weed them? Can we help? Who are you guys? In other words, the only way this restoration goes forward is how. We can't just throw the Book of Mormon out. If we throw the Book of Mormon out, does the restoration continue? No, because they're blind to it. It's still the rod, but they're blind to it. So the solution is there has to be a temporary rod that people hold on to that wins their heart and leads them to a tree. And when they partake of that tree, what happens? The blinders come off and they accept the rod they were rejecting. So there's no way this restoration continues as wonderful as it is without you. Does Heavenly Father know that? So who did he send now? He sent the ones that would be the rod. It is my testimony that the Book of Mormon has a dilemma, but it knows what the solution is. Partner with it. Partner with it. Be the rod in their lives that allows them to see. And then once they see, they don't need you anymore. John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. But there was a time I had to increase in order for him to de increase. But now, now that my testimony has got you to the tree, I'm going to slowly fade out because he is now in. Do you see how it works? So I begin this class with the dilemma and the invitation. The dilemma is that it won't. Hey, guys, Hello. we're just finishing. Oh, oh sorry. Oops, we'll get out. No, you're welcome to hear us. This is the end. We went from six to seven. Oh, okay. Oh, wait. Do you see the dilemma? The solution can't be print more Book of Mormons. The solution is put them in the hands of people who will win hearts. Now, there's a bad news to that, right? In the Book of Mormon, what's always the reason people reject the church? The bad examples of the members. What did, the, what did, Ammon, what did Alma say to Corianton, who committed adultery as a missionary? When they saw your conduct, they would not believe my words. Do you see it? Will you accept it? Do you understand what to do in Tampa? If you just go down there and hand out books, copies of the Book of Mormon, are you a good missionary? No, because they'll just rip them up and throw them away. They're blind to it. The only way is to love them, serve them, care about them, win their heart so that they partake of that tree through you, and then they'll grab that rod.
we are as essential to God's plan as that book. Be a rod. Be the rod that wins someone's heart. Now, if you'll accept that invitation, let's now jump into the book and fall in love with its message. And we'll do that next week. Now, before we leave 1 Nephi 13, can I introduce our first theme? Back to verse 40. Of all the plain and precious truths restored. Remember that right there in the middle of verse 40. Of all the plain and precious truths that were restored. End of verse 40. What's the most important plain and precious truth? So, what has the Book of Mormon restored? What do we know about Jesus? What was lost and what's been restored? Who is Book of Mormon Jesus? Who do we know that the world doesn't know? What has been restored? What did he do and why does it matter? And how do we tap into it? That's where we begin. Who is Book of Mormon Jesus and what did he do? And how do I take advantage of it? We'll spend a couple weeks there on that subject. It's the most important of them all. Then our second theme will be preparing for the second coming, winning the war that began in heaven. Everyone else lost it. Name a dispensation who, won the, who finished that war successfully. But we must. And our third are the plain and precious truths lost. Let's just go through a handful of examples of what is it? I want you to be able to have a dozen examples of plain and precious truths that have been restored in the Book of Mormon. Do you see our themes? Okay. Bear you my testimony that this book is the rod. I bear you my testimony that the greatest manifestation of God's love is the restoration. And we got to tell the world. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.